Welcome to this last edition of the Real Bill Podcast on this 4th of November, 2020. I'm your host, Cyril Joe Quinn, normally discussing the world of sports and pop culture, but uh, there was, you know, a thing called a election that has not yet um, com- been completed uh, that, that took place last night that is yet, again, has yet to be completed, that is kind of taken everybody's attention as well as mine um, <clears throat> that we're going to talk about. Um, I will eventually get to, we'll get to a little, we'll get to some sports and pop culture, I promise. I know that you have been, the election has been shoved down your throats um, for the last 24 hours, really for the last, you know, few months. Uh, so I, I promise you, I promise you, I will get to some uh, sports and pop culture. I have a little, a little levity, levity in, uh, you know, as we continue to, you know, to, to um, hopefully get a president soon enough and hopefully, um, you know, kind of make sense of what uh, we've seen in the past 24 hours. Um, as it stands right now, uh, Biden is at 253. And Trump is at 213 as far as electoral votes. It seems that Biden is in the proverbial driver's seat. Um, <clears throat> he's leading, he's already won Michigan and um, Wisconsin. He is you know, we're still waiting for Arizona, waiting for Nevada, waiting for North Carolina, Georgia, and Pennsylvania, and also Alaska. But Biden right now is in excellent position to be the 46th president of the United States. Um, He's um, probably going to, I mean, he's going to win Nevada and he has a chance, right? The way it's looking right now, he's really going to have a, he has a chance to win Pennsylvania, to be honest with you, because he has made up a lot, a ton of ground in Pennsylvania over the course of the last, you know, 10 hours or so, uh, last, you know, over the last, over the, over the course of the day. So he, again, he is in prime position to be the next president of the United States. Um, you know, watching the, <clears throat> watching this last night and, uh, it was just a reminder and, you know, I, a lot of people were on edge. A lot of people were nervous, anxious, stressed. Um, and I'm watching this last night, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, how did we get to this point to where we have these two choices and to where we are voting, you know, a lot of people that voted for Biden are voting for Biden because they want Trump out, not because they believe Joe Biden is a great option, but they want Trump out of office. So a lot of, and, and to be honest with you, um, this is going to go down regardless of what happens in the final numbers. This is going to be a close election. Like, I can strongly make the case that, you know, if it wasn't for the pandemic, uh, Trump probably probably wins this election, to be honest with you. Probably, probably wins it going away, if not for the pandemic. But the pandemic happens. That's, you know, real life. You can't, you know, those, those things happen in real life. Uh, it's part of being the president in terms of dealing with it being able to deal with that that type of um, 
a type of national uh, disaster. But um, it just had me thinking about, you know, how do we got, how do we get to this point of, you know, where, you know, you looked at, you look at 2008, 2012, um, and I voted for, I voted for Obama in both elections. And it was like, you know, this guy, you know, we you voted for Obama because you liked Obama. You voted for Obama because you felt, you know, you, you felt like he was going to do something. You felt like he was going to um, have your best interests at heart if you voted for, if you voted, I'm assuming if you voted for Obama. Some of you may not have voted for Obama, but a lot of people did because he won back-to-back -back elections. To go into an election and vote for somebody because of the other opponent is, is one of the emptiest feelings that you will ever have in regards to as a vote as a voter. I mean, it, it is a it is a dreadful feeling to have. And I've been voting for the better part of you know 20 years. My first my first election, the first election I voted for was uh 2000. Uh, you know, with Bush and Gore. So in, it, it's not that I mean, it is not a feeling that you want that that you it's, it's you know it got me thinking like you know what needs to be done that what needs to happen moving forward that I don't have this feeling again in regards to the candidates like what needs to happen so I, I don't ever want to have a feeling I won't you know 2024 2024 2022 I don't want to have this feeling anymore and it seems like we are a long ways away from not having that feeling. The bottom line is you have a system, a political system that is completely broken. You can say what you want about Donald Trump. Donald Trump, the idea of Donald Trump will, will, will live on, win or lose. Um, he, again, he almost won this election, running on hate speech, running on, uh, you know, Bob, you know, bungling a national disaster in terms of pandemic. Uh, you can see it. he almost won this election. And you look at some of the numbers, you know, he, his numbers, he gets the, you know, Latino vote, which was evident by what happened, what transpired in Florida and his, um, in terms of the African American male vote, he got he got twenty percent of that vote. Last election, Hillary got eighty two percent. This year, Biden got eighty percent. To give you a sense of um, to give you a sense of, of of that comparison to in comparisons to the years Obama ran, Obama when he won both his elections in in oh eight and two thousand twelve, he got ninety five and ninety six percent. Of the uh, black of the African American of the uh, of the black vote the black male vote I should say. So we're going in you know going in the wrong direction from that standpoint. And you can sit up here you can knock black men if you want. The bottom line is, you know, black men feel like feel as though hey, if I don't think Joe if I don't think Joe Biden is a viable option if we don't have a viable option outside of Trump then I'm gonna vote my don't vote for my pocketbook. I'm going to vote for my, you know, take care of my pockets. 
And, you know, you look at what Trump has created, he's, you know, he's created a sense of, you know, facts don't matter. Facts don't matter in, in this era when it comes to politics. You know, people aren't going there, going to get their information off, you know, not going to the Washington Post or the Atlantic or the New York Times. They're going, going to, they're going to Twitter, Facebook, they're going to Instagram. That's the world we live in right now. And again, I, even though uh, you're going to have a president, even though more than likely we're going to have a president, uh, a new president, the shadows of Donald Trump loom large moving forward. Like he may have lost the battle as far as this election, but he's winning the war. MAGA is not going anywhere. Proud Boys, all these groups, all these white supremacist groups are not going anywhere. They're not anytime soon. And if the Democrats don't get their shit together, then we will be in the same situation four, year, four, years, uh, four years from now. We're looking at another mini Donald Trump. And again, the scary thing is, the, listen, the playbook has been written in regards to how you can win an election. You galvanize a base, you can, you, you know, you appear, you you're, uh, appeal to their pockets and go from there. It doesn't matter, again, people don't care about about racist and about uh, bigotry every day, they just don't care. They just don't care. Character doesn't, you know, character is not a big deal. These things are just not a big deal anymore. They're not. They're just, they're just not. You know, people are not going to vote for you because you're a good guy. That's just those days are, those days are done. And I, I think as, you know, the one thing that I'm encouraged by is hopefully a generation coming behind us, the millennials, as well as this generation Z can uh, see what happened, transpire with this election and can really have their presence felt in a way to where, you know, they demand a new system because the system, this system is, is the system needs to be destroyed. This political system that we have right now is, is just needs to be completely destroyed, especially for Af if you're African-American. It's not, it, has, it has not worked for us as African-Americans, not at all. Not at all. And again, I, I'm, I would not be celebrating Don, you know, if Donald Trump indeed does go down, which it looks like he's, he's going to, don't celebrate. You should not be celebrating at, at all. You should be re relieved, but you shouldn't. Listen, you should not be celebrating because the, the real work has yet to be, I mean, this is, this is just the beginning. Now the real work will begin. And your job as a voter, as a uh, American citizen, citizen is to hold, you know, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris to their feet to the fire. Hold them accountable from the day that they, when the day that Joe Biden is sworn in, you hold his ass to the feet to the fire. You demand of both parties better candidate candidates. 
Because if you think about Donald Trump getting elected in 2016, eh, Donald Trump shouldn't even been nominated. Shouldn't even been up for nomination by the by the party, Republican Party, which speaks to their level of candidates. And really both neither, I mean, neither side, like neither party, and I'm I've been a registered independent for over a decade. Neither party has quality candidates right now. There's not, there's not a lot. It's not a lot to choose from right now. Politicians have gotten fat and lazy. And I don't mean literally fat, figuratively fat and lazy, because you know, we as a society are not as involved in as, as we should be. We don't hold them to the level of accountability that we should. If this if the last four years in this election doesn't change that, I don't know what will, to be honest with you. I frankly don't know what will. So it, you know, it seems like again, as it stands now, I think, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I think um, Pennsylvania is going to take a couple of days to be called. Probably, I, I would, I would guess tomorrow, probably tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow night, Pennsylvania probably will be done. Uh, North Carolina, Arizona, these are, I think, North Carolina, Arizona, Georgia, probably will be called by the night more than likely uh, by tonight, Nevada, probably by, yeah, some, some of these, most of these states, I think all the states with the exception of Pennsylvania will be called by tonight, if I had to guess, if I had to guess. But again, this is, uh, you know, none of this should have shocked to surprise you in regards to how this election, um, you know, the polls, polls mean nothing. We, we've, if we haven't learned that, if we, if we haven't learned, if we didn't learn from 2016, this election has shown us that the polls mean absolutely nothing. And one of the things that I was fearful of in regards to uh, a, a way that Trump could win would be his silent majority coming out and voting, and they came out and voted. Like the Trump, the Trump base is real, it is absolutely real. Without question, it is real. And they came out in droves and nearly, nearly won this election. Nearly won this election. And, you know, you listen, you can say what you want about Donald Trump. I, you know, I don't fuck with Trump at all, but there's something that he he galvanizes people he got like he and it, it goes to me it goes beyond just him being a racist it goes beyond to it goes beyond to him appealing to people's pocketbooks you know it is something that people uh, you know like or love about donald trump because you when you look at you know policies when you look at his you know his leadership. You know we, we know we know he's, he's he's some shit. We know that. We understand that. But again, he's created he's created a sense of facts don't matter. You know facts don't matter. Um, I can you know I can I can say what I want. I can try to you know break every law. It do, it does not matter. He, I mean, how many? You know, you when you think about it, when you really think about it, 
this race probably shouldn't this race probably shouldn't even been close. I mean, he I mean he he was right there in this race despite all the scandals, despite how he's handled uh, COVID, despite everything, despite the last four years. And he was right there, right there. This race is right there, to, was right there to be taken. And again, if that doesn't, if that, if that is not a wake up call, then I don't know what is. Uh, I don't know what is, if that's not a wake up call. So it's one thing, you know, going out and getting people voted in record numbers. People voted. Joe Biden is going to, is going to break the record for most votes, um, for most for most votes with over. He's going to top, if he hasn't already, he's going to top 70 million. The previous record was held by uh, Barack Obama in 2008, where he had, he had uh, 60, 69 million. So he's, he's breaking that. Biden's going to break that. So people people came out and vote came out to vote uh, four years ago. It was, you know, four million people stayed home. Four million, there were four million people, less Democrats that voted in 2016 as compared to 2012. That was not the case in 2020. People came out in droves and voted. You had well over a hundred million uh, in terms of early voting and mail-in voting, mail-in ballots. And when it comes out, it's going to, I mean, those total numbers probably going to come out well, but you're probably going to see like well over a hundred and Biden's at 70 million. So I'm looking at, yeah, Biden's at 70, Trump's at 67 million for probably, that's 133 million people voted. Uh, going to, uh, 133 million is probably going to top, probably going to top, has a chance to top 140 million total with all the, when all the ballots are counted. It, we have a long way to go. Um, we, um, the work is just, the work is just beginning. Uh, we about to, we're going about to have a special guest on the program to discuss this election. Um, had to bring somebody on and I thought about him when, um, when this election took place and last night, um, Angel Rodriguez is on the program now. Angel, hey, how, how are you, Mr. Quinn? I'm Rodriguez. I'm sorry, I messed up your last name. How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. You know, like the whole nation right now, I'm nervous. You know, it's clutching. You know. There's an important election tonight, and uh, they called the local election. Unfortunately, you know, you know my candidate Marcus Bachelor uh, didn't win, but you know he, he put up a good fight, and you know he put his name out there, which uh, you know I was happy and honored to be part of his campaign. So you know, so far, you know, you know like I said before, I'm kind of nervous for tonight, and we'll see what happens. How it unfolds. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think it was, I mean, I, I think this is going to play out the way kind of, the way we kind of expected to play out with um, once those mail-in ballots are counted, that that was going to be a major advantage for Biden. Biden's going to probably, you know, get to 270 and then you're going to have Trump, you know, 
bitching and moaning and threatening lawyers and all that nonsense recounts. Mm -hmm. But eventually, um, Biden and Harris will be in the in the White House. I'm glad that you mentioned your candidate to begin with, because to me, um, that is that is where the work has to be done as far as on a local level. Um, people get caught up in the presidential. It's the more sexier of when it comes to elections and things of that nature. But if we, if we want to make real change, it has to be at a local level. What are your thoughts on that before we get to the presidential uh, race? Presidential race. What are your thoughts on elect? You know, elections on a local level and yeah. even going down to like superintendents of the school boards, things of that nature. I totally agree with you on that. You know, um, local elections, you know, also matter as presidential elections. You know, people don't realize that local stuff affects our day to day lives. You know, council members are the people. Well, speaking from D.C., council members are the people that, you know, raise your taxes um, if you're, you know, middle class or poor, or they um, um, create affordable housing or raise your rent as well. So people um, really don't, you know, not say care about local, the local level, but, you know, they don't pay attention to it as, you know, they would as, at a presidential year. And, you know, that's one of the most frustrating things in, uh, for me is that um, people, you know, don't pay attention on the local stuff. And, you know, yeah, we want to get Trump out of office. That's the first part of the battle. The second part of the battle is taking, you know, those local elected officials who've been there 25, eight years who hasn't done any change for the city or any change for, you know, people um, to vote them out and put in progressive candidates. And that's why um, I volunteered for the Marcus Bachelor campaign because he was a young progressive candidate that was going to, you know, change DC and be able to, you know, work for, you know, all people and make DC work for all people so you know local stuff is so important and i love doing the local stuff you know if this election was you know a normal election like we usually see with a normal republican and a, and a democrat i think i would not have cared about the national level i would have just cared about the local level and that's it but you know we're in a situation where our democracy will either die or our democracy will be saved so yeah yes no no question about it um mm. i'm thinking you know i, I went <clears throat> I, I came on the program before you before you joined me talking about just as how empty i felt as a voter last night um because and i you know i voted for uh biden harris but it wasn't so much about voting for them as much as ever it was voting against Donald Trump. And I think that got that that I think that really resonated around the country that you know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's voting for the lesser of the two evils, not about what you expect out of you know one candidate, but what you just just uh, detest out of another. And that's not a 
that's not a position you want to be in as a voter. I know a lot. I mean, I've, I've talked to people who have either not voted or did write-in votes in past elections who had that type of feeling. So I, mm-hmm. I so I, I've seen that go. You know, I, a lot of people sat out the election last the last uh, twenty sixteen election because they didn't like Hillary or um, Donald Trump. How do we get to a point where we hold these uh, parties, you know, feet to the fire and force them to give us better options as voters? Because I feel like the options have not been, you know, just haven't been good, you know, for the, for a while now. We need somebody like a Barack Obama-esque to come back because we knew how when Barack Obama entered the two, 2008 campaign, it was like a fresh of air for voters, you know, you know, and that election, Biden ran, Hillary ran, and Edwards ran, and two of the candidates there, Biden and Hillary, were already in the political scope, and, you know, they were in the Senate, you know, and Obama, you know, he wasn't, he was a senator at that time, but, you know, he was a young upstart senator, and people could relate more to Obama because Obama, you know, went through the struggles, you know, and he understands the working people. So having somebody who is like Obama run for president um, sometime in the next four years would be great because it would rejuvenate the way, you know, as a voter, you'll be able to, uh, as a voter to be able to have, you know, the option to say, hey, I'm not picking the lesser two evils. I'm more confident in this candidate because his policies and, you know, his characteristics. And, you know, I agree with you. Like, I, I do not side with any party anymore. I'm an independent now because I'm so disappointed of what the Democratic Party has given us in the past two years, in the past two years, in the past two presidential elections. Um, because, you know, 2016, we could have gone with Bernie. Um, Bernie had, you know, that energy and those, you know, policies, but because the Democratic establishment did not mess with Bernie's policies. You know, they went with the safer pick, in their opinion, which was Hillary, and they failed. Four years later, we have a long list of Democratic candidates, and my pick was Julian Castro to go. He was a great candidate, in my opinion, great progressive uh, policies, but, you know, he didn't, they didn't advance. And, you know, soon after weeks and weeks and weeks, everybody left and and it was only Bernie and Biden. And once again, the Democratic establishment said, nope, we're not gonna let Bernie, you know, accept our nomination. And, you know, we're in the situation again with the lesser of the two evils. But hopefully that changes in the next four years. And I think, you know, AOC will be the person that will rejuvenate people to come out and vote and be confident in their candidate because she has that energy and she has that, you know, willing to, you know, continue to fight for people. And uh, in her presidential campaign, hopefully in 2024, she'll, she'll be able to bring a lot of people to the polls out and 
it's going to be an exciting time when 2024 comes around because if Biden wins, I see there I see somebody running against him um, for the Democratic ticket. Yeah, I mean, no question about it. There's, I mean, mm-hmm. you'll, have, you'll have somebody uh, <clears throat> coming after him, especially play the play the age card because by that time they'll be you know well over eighty. Um, you know, I was thinking about I, you bring up a, you bring up a couple of names, Barack and Bernie Sanders. I just, you know, I think I thought with Barack, um, I, I kind of saw him as like this generational talent as far as, and I, I really think that he covered a lot of holes that were within the Democratic Party because he was just that gifted of a politician, whether you agree or disagree with, you know, his policies or, uh, or his, you know, his two, uh, his, you know, his two terms. Um, he got things done, um, but I still think that he, it, like, it doesn't speak to the overall foundation of either party of, of either party having a a solid foundation. I just think you had a super talented guy who kind of like made us forget about the rest of the party because he was that good. I, I would compare it to I give you this sports analogy, so to speak, mm-hmm. like. LeBron came to the Lakers and he erased almost all the last decade of futility as far as not making the playoffs. He comes in, he brings in AD, he brings in a number of other players. He brought credibility, he brought a, just a winning culture by himself to the Lakers, right? That one guy. You have somebody like the Spurs back in the day, they had a culture where it wasn't just one guy. Um, Tim Duncan gets older. Tony Parker steps up. Tony Parker gets older. Kawhi Leonard steps up. It's like a culture that 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 you have that brings along talent to, to where you're not depending on a singular um, a, a singular person. That kind of you know that kind that kind of takes you know LeBron kind of covered up a lot covered up a lot of holes when he was with Cleveland. You know those mm-hmm. those teams that weren't very good in 2018 in particular, when they went to the finals on a team that was just horrible uh, besides him, that was or average besides him. So that would be my concern with with these parties, not only the Democrats, but just both political parties in general, that there's not a there's not a foundation that there's not a development of talented candidates that seems to be coming up the pike. Now, you mentioned AOC. I like AOC. but I don't see I don't see a lot beyond that, and I don't see I don't I don't see what the Republicans have coming to 2024. I mean, it's not out of possibility if he's not in jail that Trump could run again. Like, don't eliminate that possibility. Yeah, and you can't eliminate the possibility of his kids running too, because I'm predicting that if Trump loses, Don Jr. might run in the next four years. And um, as, uh, if you guys don't know, um. His family were his advisors behind the scene. I think his um, his daughter is uh, an advisor. You know, Don Jr. Um, kind of advises him on the side as well. I think he's in charge with the businesses and stuff. But I think he will. This is my prediction because I see how egotistic this family has is not has become. They always has been. Um, that because. Hopefully they lose this election. 
they're going to be like ramping their base up because you know unfortunately the the mega base will continue to be a thing because of the impact that this racist xenophobic you know everything in the book man has created um but this was already you know not saying not creative but you know there was these people who were hiding behind the bushes that came out the bushes are now more comfortable of saying all these things or you know are going to follow you know wherever the trumps go so if that makes any sense um so maga and trumpism isn't going anywhere you know if this is like you know reagan you know the reagan era and the people who voted for reagan you know so like you said you know i hope that the democratic party runs on the foundation and inspires more young people with progressive ideas and you know bold leadership to step up to the plate um because we're not seeing that and we haven't seen that in the past two elections and if we continue to you know stay like this you know who knows we can have another trump run um against a candidate and that candidate may be weak and we'll be in the same situation so we have a couple of years to build a couple of years to you know groom those candidates so when it comes to that time to you know fight you know we're confident that that candidate is going to be able to win and be able to you know fight you know for the american people and you know bring justice and and you know bring peace to this country that has only seen a lot of hatred and a lot of you know you know not not a lot of you know unity um between each other and you know it's it's sad you you've seen it in sports you know you have white nationalists and white people you know mad about you know the nba um putting black lives matter on their on their court you know encouraging others to vote and you know putting you know names on the back of the jerseys is like come on man it's human rights issues we're talking about this is not politics human rights issues but you know because of the times being divided that's how you know those white nationalists reacts and they think it's all politics but they need to understand that the issues that are being brought up are you know human rights issues let me ask you this you you in your early 20s um, mm -hmm. you're out there, like you're on the street, per se, like you're out there in the trenches. Amongst people your age and younger, do you get a sense that uh, that they, that that group, that group, your group has had enough of how politics is run, has been ran over the past however many years, and are, are they just ready, are they ready for, and I mentioned the system needs to be torn down. So it's not just a matter of putting in new can't put in, you know, voting, you know, Trump out and Biden in this entire system. Are, are, are they ready to tear down this system and possibly put in somebody um, to tear down this system that's been run that's run rampant over, over the course of the last hundred years or so? Are they ready for a, just a brand new political system? You know, I'm not, now I'm not saying elect Kanye West either. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. I'm talking about just from a standpoint of just a new 
out, a, a outside the box where and I was talking to somebody other, you know, this weekend, a family member this weekend on, I, for me, I need my president to have political acumen, to have some type of political experience through either the military mm-hmm. or through Congress, something like that. But in terms of cabinet, I, I wouldn't mind if, if, if his cabinet, you know, wasn't in politics at all. I want diverse, not only in terms of skin color, but diverse in terms of thinking. What, where do you think? Mm-hmm. Where do I think? Can you repeat that question? I think you cut off. I did. I asked you two separate questions. I said, where? Uh-huh. First part was where? You know, is your generation has, has your generation had enough of this political system that 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 we're currently under, in regards to who's in office? Have they just had enough? Are they just fed up with the system to where they are ready to really, um, you know, make an impact through creating maybe a political party or creating or or you know, in terms of how they vote. Um, yeah, I think yeah, my my generation, as you see, you know, they're having enough about all this stuff that's happening, you know, this this old system. And you see, you know, young people take the streets and protest. You know, you saw it this summer with the Black Lives Matter um protests over the summer, you know, you saw young people step up to the plate, you know. They were like, you know, this needs to stop, you know, this needs to not continue, you know. Innocent black Americans are getting killed while you have a white guy, you know, shooting at protesters. And, you know, what does he get? What, what treatment does he get? He gets a treatment of saying, oh, he's just a kid. And, you know, my generation is saying, that's not okay. You know, you know we're going to step up for, you know, anybody that's facing injustice. So, you know, my generation, I think in the next decade, is going to change a lot of things that. Um, a lot of politicians didn't want to change because they wanted this system to continue to be the same system that, you know, has been, you know, in this country for a long time. So, um, yeah, I see a lot of my generation, I see a lot of my generations running for office too, which, you know, I see more progressives um, in Congress um, after this decade, I feel like. Um, And, more people like AOC and more people, you know, running around Congress, you know, making change and being unapologetic about their, you know, views and and about, you know, their stance. And it's gonna be a great, great future, you know? And I see that the future will be bright in the next uh, few years, in the next decade that comes along because you know, young people are really stepping up to the plate, you know. Um, this generation, even though they want to count us down and call us dumb and not smart, but you could see the the statistics now, you know, young people came out to vote this year, something that hasn't been seen for a long time, you know. And that's because social media is that powerful and you know, young people know, know how to get people out to the polls. And, you know, this is going to be a bright future. And I can't wait to see it. And I can't wait to be a part of that bright future. And, you know, one of my dreams is to become the, a D.C. council member in D.C. and, you know, do some changes here in the city and, you know, be able to bring, you know, progressive change and 
be able to have, you know, my kids and other kids around the city grow up with, you know, equitable uh, city where, you know, they have a right to have a good education and a right to have good health care and a right to, you know, be able to walk the streets um, with no violence and, and no poverty, you know. Listen, you're well. You're well on your way. Um, no question about that. Yeah, I, I just wonder, like ten years from now, if someone comes along like a Bernie Sanders with those type of ideas, that your generation will will have changed the landscape to where the Democrats have no have no choice but to support that type of candidate because it's going to me. It's going to take those. It's going to take that dramatic shift in mindset. To, to rid ourselves of, of our current system. Like I, to your point earlier, one of the reasons why Bernie Sanders didn't get, didn't get uh, voted in or didn't get um, wasn't supported by the Democrats, well, two reasons. One, you know, Democrats thought he would have a better, that thought that Biden would have a better chance to beat, defeat Trump than, than Bernie would. But also to your point earlier, the fear of that drastic of, a, of, of going against the grain like they, you know, they were not willing to go that far against the grain. And to me, you can say what you want about Bernie Sanders. I, I personally, you know, respect Bernie Sanders, and I, I agree with some of his policies—not all of them, but some of his, with many of, of some of his policies. And it's that type of change that's going to be needed to kind of rid ourselves of this system that we've been stuck in for, you know, decades upon decades. Um. I feel like there's gonna be a, a lot more young people um, being a part of the DNC, which the DNC is the people who decide, you know, they decide, you know, the nomination. Of course we vote out, we go and vote for the nomination, but they, you know, they decide, you know, a lot of the things and the pathways of the Democratic Party and their platforms and stuff like that. So. I feel like young people right now, maybe 20, 24, or 25, they would be probably 30 or, or, or in their mid-30s in the next decade. So they'll have enough experience and enough, you know, things to be able to, you know, apply for a position at the DNC or get elected for a position at the DNC. For me, it's all about, you know, you have to get into the system so you can change it, you know. You know, that's why I want to, I, I give you the example of me going to the DC council. If I want to change stuff, I got to be in the system so I can make progressive change. And that's what many of the, you know, people who are progressives now are doing, you know, and, and are, are doing in Congress right now, like AOC, she's a democratic socialist, but she's a democratic socialist under the democratic party. Um, like many other democratic socialists there are, um, under the Democratic branch, because they know that if they run under the Democratic Party and get elected, they can change the system in the inside. So I feel like a lot of, you know, young people and a lot of progressives are going to try to attack this system from the inside. And we will see a Bernie Sanders-esque candidate soon who will have success and no barriers to, um, be elected as a, as the nominee and hopefully president someday. So I truly believe that's coming soon. Yeah, I mean, that's 
you know, that's, that's, that's the type of change that, that, that the system needs. The system needs to be, you know, it needs to be torn down and destroyed. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like the system we've dealt with in terms of, a, you know, systematic oppression and racism of that nature. Like, it, the system has been created, has been created to, you know, keep minorities down. Uh, and I, I think the political system is it really hasn't is not any different, to be honest with you. Like we, we got mm-hmm. in terms of we gotta keep it real from that standpoint. Um so I it's gonna take listen, it's, it's nothing happens overnight, uh, as we all know. But I I I do, you know, and I'm you know, I'm edu- I'm in education and I do see more younger, I see younger people getting involved as far as just understanding what politics is and, and what, you know, and just having more involvement in politics maybe now than say, you know, five, 10 years ago. So that that's definitely encouraging because it's really, it's, it's going to be up to, I'm telling you right now, you know, you know, it's going to be up to your generation and the generation following you. So your, your generation, you're a millennial, the generation following you, following you, I say, I think it's generation Z. You, I mean, you guys are, are are going to be just major factors moving forward in terms of the future of this country. There's no way about. It. There's no two ways about it. And, um, and be we're a major voting Yes. Yes. Absolutely. No. No question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one last. Yeah. One last question before I let you go here. Mm-hmm. What? So we saw in Miami-Dade County in Florida. It was one of the reasons why. One of the biggest reasons why Trump. One Florida, um, he got a you know a, there was an uptick in uh, in the Cuban Latino vote with uh, mm-hmm. that, that was for Trump. Why do you think that was? Because Trump is feeding you know that propaganda to them that you know if you elect Biden Harris, you're bringing socialism and communism, and that's something that um, Cubans are you know paying attention and actually feeding into because most Cubans that are in Miami and in Florida you know fled Fidel Castro's um, dictatorship but what really doesn't make sense is why you would support a president that is very soft against other dictators and that's something that really, you know, angers me from the Cuban community. And we're not saying the whole Cuban community, you know, right, no. not, not the whole Cuban no. community, but those certain Cubans that voted for Trump, how they are easily misinformed or easily tricked in, in, in getting his vote. And, you know, you know Trump's ads, you've seen them around. Um, their their ads look misinformed and look like if you didn't know politics or you didn't know enough about the candidates that you would vote and believe in that. And I believe that the the Cubans, you know, believe that Biden and Harris are are a sign of socialism and that their that their legislation that they would enact would bring socialism to the United States. And it's not only the Cubans, it's the Venezuelans too. Um, that also took part of that, you know, Florida win, you know. Um, but, you know, that's what Trump did. And I heard uh, on the news that, you know, that blueprint that um, 
Trump did to get, you know, the Latino vote and also the, the black vote might be the blueprint that Republicans will use in the future for elections, for presidential elections to come. So that's very scary and very, you know, nerve wracking that this guy has left a blueprint in the Republican Party to be, you know, followed for for years to come. No question about it. it, it like I said, you know, Trump <clears throat> won't be the president, more than likely won't be the president in 2021, but the, I, the, he leaves behind a, 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 a looming shadow. And I said this before you came on the program, he may not have won the battle, but he's winning the war in regards to just propaganda, like you said, propaganda, you know, lies upon lies, you know, the fake news, the internet, you know, the reality television, like he has got that down, the branding, he has got all that down to a, to a, to a, uh, to a T. And it's something that the Democrats are gonna, are gonna have to deal with or any other political party that, that goes, you know, that that's created, that's gonna, uh, independence, that's gonna have, to, gonna have to deal with moving forward. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's a scary sight, you know, when somebody leaves their blueprint behind more Trump left his blueprint behind really, really badly on the Republican Party because if a normal Republican or a moderate Republican wants to run um, for our, for president, you know, it's going to be tough because if he faces a guy who has the same blueprint and same plan as Trump, you know, we're going to see another situation of, you know, that type of guy against, you know, whoever the Democrats have. So, it's scary times, but at the same time, I see that the future is going to be bright. And I feel like if people catch on on that, that candidate who does the same thing as Trump, we're going to see a lot more people come to the polls and take this serious. Not like in 2016 when people didn't take it serious like they should have. But, you know, we, as we saw the numbers in 2020, and we'll see the same numbers in 20. 24 if there's um, a candidate like that again or if ron jr uh, not ron don jr runs or trump runs again so we'll see what happens but i hope though here's one word of advice before i leave for people that voted in 2020 and came out to the polls please have the same energy for your local polls too we spoke about this earlier local stuff or important as national stuff. Local stuff, you know, the local side, they are in charge of public safety. They're in charge of, you know, housing. They're in charge of so many other things, you know? So remember, don't make this the only election that you come out to. Keep making it a habit. Keep coming to each election. Keep getting educated on what candidate is the, has the best interest in you locally because if we don't get the same turnout then what was all this work to get trump out of office what was all this work to um get joe biden into office if you have somebody with the same ideas and the same interest of trump running your local city so please please come out for the local elections in the next two years no question about it i couldn't say mm -hmm. it better myself I know, man. Thanks for coming on um, short notice. Uh, I know you're a busy man, and I will look forward to speaking to you uh, in the near future. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. All right. Take it easy.
Angel, Angel Henriquez, Henriquez, uh, just a, a tremendous young man. And uh, again, I'm biased because I've known him for a long time, but he's definitely someone who um, just has the, just knows what he's talking about. He knows, he understands, he, you know, he wants to be a politician. He wants to do the right thing, wants to help people out. And um, I just you know, I have so much respect for that, for that young man. And um, thank you know, again. You, you know, he is a, you know, he's a real one. Uh, and so thanks for, uh, thanks for having him. Great to have him on, great, great to speak to him. And uh, again, and like you said, pay attention to those local elections. Those, you know, you know it, it begins with local elections. It begins with even, you know, school board elections, like even that, even down to that. So, you know, it's no, no question about that. Um, we're gonna try. We're gonna shift gears. Uh, I mean, I promise you that it's gonna be all politics. But you know, it is, it is a historical election. You did have some football come uh, on Sunday and Monday. Um, not no Tuesday games for once in the NFL Week Eight. Um, interesting, interesting uh, week for the NFL. Uh, I guess the big winner. Where the Pittsburgh Steelers, you see the Steelers take out Baltimore 28 to 24, despite the fact that um, Baltimore almost had nearly 200 yards of rushing on Pittsburgh. Baltimore had some spotty play calling in the fourth quarter. Uh, there was a point, especially on that, that last drive, they were killing Pittsburgh with that triple option. They were killing Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh could not stop the triple option. And then they got down to, you know, Within the, you know, with the, I believe that was at near the ten yard line and, and scoring this you know, right there near the end zone, and uh, you know they run the you know they run the the kind of quarterback sneak with Lamar Jackson, who again Lamar Jackson one of the best athletes in the NFL, but Pittsburgh had that kind of had that uh, play red you know had that play you know uh, dead to rights, so Pittsburgh was able to hang on. 28-24, despite being down at one point in the game, uh, 17 to seven. Listen, I know it's easy to bash Lamar Jackson. Uh, I heard somebody say that he's already hit a ceiling. I heard people say that he's the Giannis of the NFL, which actually is not a, that's actually not a bad comparison. Giannis and Lamar Jackson, as far as you know, physically what they can do, and but and they've had to you know untap all their potential, but. Here's what you got to realize. Lamar Jackson can get better. He absolutely can get better. They need a they need a running back to where the defense pays pays gives a heavy amount of attention to. Now, like they they need a a a, a number a clear number one running back. I think myself, they count too way too much on Lamar Jackson. I really do. I think that he gets way is 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 too. I I think I look at how they're bringing him along versus say how Seattle brought along Russell Wilson, and again the big they both had you know both had excellent defenses. You know Legion of Doom, Baltimore has been a top five defense since Jackson has been the starting quarterback. Marshawn Lynch. Now, are you going to get a you know Marshawn Lynch is a probably a borderline Hall of Fame running back. No, do I need you need? Well, it would be nice to have a Marshawn Lynch. More likely, you're not going to get a player of that of that magnitude. 
but you do need a legit number one running back that can take the pressure off Lamar Jackson. And it wouldn't hurt to have another, to have another, you know, receiver, uh, a, a possession type receiver. You know, we, we, we know um, Antonio Brown's cousin, uh, his name will lose me right now. Listen, he's a, he's fast, he's quick, but you, they need a possession, another possession type receiver. They need more weapons around Lamar Jackson. That's basically what I'm trying to say. They really need more weapons around him. That's what this comes down to. But give Pittsburgh a lot of credit. Pittsburgh back-to-back wins against under, against two top teams, Tennessee at Tennessee, and then at Baltimore. You won't. That is a as good a stretch as you can as you as you're gonna get. Pittsburgh probably is gonna be number one in a lot of people's power rankings, which you know, deservedly so at seven and zero. Um, and we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see. You know, they are one of my teams that is without question a legit Super Bowl contender. Uh, Seattle taking out San Francisco. Uh, 37-27, but the big story in this game is the San Francisco 49er injuries. Garoppolo, Garoppolo, and Kettle both probably are going to be out for the season. They have a lot of questions in the offseason in regards to Garoppolo and, and his future with the team. Um, I still don't believe in the Seattle defense. Um, people, you know, Seattle can score with anybody. We know Wilson's a legit MVP candidate, though he does not have nowhere near the stranglehold on that ward as he once had, say, two weeks ago. I actually think Pat Mahomes is, 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 would be my MVP right now, to be honest with you. But he's still going to, you know, we still know uh, Wilson's great. But um, listen, San Francisco has a ton of injuries that deep, especially on the, on the offensive end. The def- their defense is not the same as it once was. So they will go into that Green Bay Thursday night game limping limping against uh, the Packers. I don't believe in the Seattle defense at all. I don't think you can win a, de- win a Super Bowl with that defense. As great as Russell Wilson is, if he's average, forget about if he's ever bad in the playoff game, but if he comes down to, if, he, if he's average in a game, then Seattle's in, in major trouble. So I, I don't believe that they have a championship caliber defense um, that, that can win a Super Bowl right now. Now, can their defense improve? Over the course of the rest of the season, sure. But right now, I, I don't trust that defense. Uh, we see New Orleans get by uh, Chicago in overtime on the road, 26-23, get New Orleans a lot of credit. Drew Brees played well in this game. Um, I thought Chicago played relatively well, too. They had a 13-3 lead. We know Chicago is not a real contender um, to be uh, – we know that, that, that their offense is not – they can't – their offense is not on par with their defense, which is a legit top-10 defense. Um, but, but again, I was I actually was impressed with Chicago in, in this game. New Orleans just needs to get healthy. I think a healthy New Orleans team could be a Super Bowl contender. But right now, they're not healthy, so I cannot put them on a list of, of teams that I think can win the Super Bowl. Uh, good win for Cincinnati. Great win for Cincinnati over Tennessee. Tennessee maybe is a case of 31-20. Maybe is a case of Tennessee losing to Pittsburgh, losing to Pittsburgh twice. So you wonder. That was such a physical game, such an emotional game. You wonder about the carryover um, going from an undefeated Pittsburgh team to playing a team that came in with only one win. Now, Cincinnati, Cincinnati has played much better than what their record indicates. They've been in a they've been in a number of their games. They played a number of close games. They seem they have their quarterback in Joe Burrow. I've been pleasantly surprised by how how well Burrow has played. I you know I I was not high on Burrow coming out of college, but he has, he's definitely certainly, he's without question, 
along with Justin Herbert from uh from the from the Chargers have have definitely looked the par as two rookie quarterbacks. He's played extremely well. And again, if they can build, you know, it, you know, get some pieces around them, you know, Cincinnati could be a for, uh, a factor in the future uh next year, not this year, but they can, they could be a factor this year as far as spoiling a play that a team that could spoil some other teams from making the playoffs or, or cost another team home field advantage, especially in that division. They play Pittsburgh and uh, Baltimore at least once, uh, one more time. Uh, so we'll see. Um, Cincinnati is a very interesting team because they, they're going to play some contending teams come November and December. So they're, they're going to cost somebody a playoff spot because they're, uh, that quarterback, you know, he's played extremely well over the course of this season. And, um, not gonna say I, not gonna say it's, it's not gonna say bad loss. You, you, you want, if you want to say bad loss of Tennessee, I guess you could. But Cincinnati is better. Well, they were better than being a one and five team. I'll say that. Minnesota takes out Green Bay 28-22. The story of this game, besides Dalvin Cook, is how soft the Green Bay defense is. Green Bay is soft. Period. I called this out last week when they lost to when they got smacked by Tampa Bay. That that was not an anomaly. They are a soft team defensively, and even even the offensive line has has gotten progressively worse over the past couple of weeks in regards to being able to protect Rodgers. Listen, I, you know, I don't know what Green Bay is doing. Like, you have a quarterback who is playing at an MVP caliber level, and you go through the trade deadline and don't pick up anybody. It's clearly you need help on the defensive line on the defensive line, forget about the offense. I think the offense would be fine. Could they use another receiver? Sure. But you, you, but to me, you had to, they needed to address their defense, their defense. They said instead they stand pat. And to me, I cannot take Green Bay serious as a Super Bowl contender with that soft defense. You can run on Green Bay. Their pass rush has been non-existent this year. Darius Smith and Preston Smith have, have came down a couple of notches as, as it compares to 2019, not playing on the same level. So I like right now, Green Bay, Green Bay will make the playoffs but right now. They are not a Super Bowl contender. I mean, that's all it is to it. Again, I don't see it. They have wasted, and I mean, wasted Aaron Rodgers. Like, it really, like they, they, in, a, in a real way, they've wasted Aaron Rodgers, who is an all-time great quarterback. They're going to be looking back five or six years from now and just shaking their heads at what at, at just wasting one of the all-time greats uh, prime from basically 15, 12 to 15 years of, uh, of prime Aaron Rodgers and only getting one Super Bowl appearance out of it. Buffalo edges out New England 24-21, a late Cam Newton fumble uh, kept, kept New England from winning this game. Then you hear later uh, over the course of the, of, the, of the next day, or maybe it was Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday, Bill Belichick complaining about a depleted roster, complaining about the franchise selling out for the past four, to try to win the past four or five Super Bowls and not, and, and, and not having enough for 2020, which is complete bullshit, by the way. The Patriots have never been a big spending team. They've never been a type of team. They, they're not the Yankees here on the Red Sox. They're going to go out there and just blow up their salary cap and luxury tax. No, the Patriots have never been that type of team. So this idea that the Patriots have gone out there and, and spent money hand over foot to win Super Bowls is, is again, it's a bunch of bullshit. And Belichick, and again, you know, it's, you know we're in a crazy year, 2020, 
when Bill Belichick starts complaining and when Bill Belichick starts telling you about, you know, discussing cap situation and that, I mean, Bill Belichick doesn't even talk like that. I mean, he, he gives you nothing during these press conferences, but he goes on Sirius XM, talks uh, to Charlie Weiss, who, by the way, and Bill Belichick knew what he was doing. He's not, because if I was, you know, a real journalist, a, a, a real talk show host would have called Belichick out on his bullshit and been like, hold on, coach, we, I'm looking at these, I'm looking at your uh, salary cap over the last five years this is, or the last 10 years. You guys have not been big spenders. Matter of fact, it was, you hadn't went over the cap seven out of the previous 10 years. But again, he has his, his, his ex-offensive coordinator, Charlie Weiss, on there. He's not, Weiss is not a real journalist, not going to get asked any real questions. So Belichick, you know, think you know, he can bullshit Weiss and they can go back and forth about the old days and what have you. But again, Belichick, again, Brady versus Belichick is no contest right now. Belichick is destroying, Brady's destroying Belichick. And Belichick, you know, Belichick is a Hall of Fame coach, all-time great coach. We know this. But Brady is winning that battle by hands down. Hands down, he's winning that battle. But again, I, I would, I've never seen Belichick complain or, or even divulge that kind of information about the franchise. So Patriots fall to two and five. Give Buffalo a lot of credit. They improved to six and two. Miami is becoming one of the pleasant, most pleasant stories of the NFL season. They are now four and three. Um, or maybe even five and three. Let me check their, their record real quick. They uh, take out the Rams 30, uh, 28 to uh, 17. Uh, this was not about, of course, this was the debut of one Tuga, Tuga, Tua, uh, Tuga Valua, Taga Valua, Tuga Valua. I'll, I'll figure out his name one day. Tua, <laughs> I'll get his name right one day. He Listen, one touchdown, 93 yards passing, 12 of 22. Nothing to, you know, nothing to write home about but again this is his first start of his entire NFL career let's like everybody let's slow down on trying to uh, make make a make a lot out of uh one start um one professional start I like to I like to Baluva if he can stay healthy but the bigger you know the bigger story is the Miami team which has bounced back from a slow start earlier this year they are four and three and right in the thick of the AFC East race. Um, give Brian Flores a lot of credit that you know, they, they won this game with their defense and special teams. Um, they, um, again, they'll be right, they, they're gonna be battling with Buffalo uh, for that division. But again, um, don't get too wrapped up in the, in the Tua debut. Is again, his first game as a starting quarterback. Uh, let's let him settle into the season before we make any uh, snap judgments. Um, so the NFL is talking, you know, they're getting, you know, getting, you know, have to put plans in place, of course, for COVID and, and if games are postponed or missed. So there's been talk of a 16 team of a 16 team postseason. If these two, if, if a couple things happen, number one, if games are postponed to force a, a week 18, they'll play games in week 18. If those games are not played in a week in week 18, if those games are not completed in that in week 18, then you're going to have a situation where you could have another, uh, you could have a 16 team postseason. So two things would have to happen. You would have to have the season would have to be extended to a week 18. And the second thing is those games, one a couple of those games would have to be postponed because of COVID and, and what have you. So just just you know, just thought I would mention that. 
Uh, as far as Super Bowl contenders tomorrow, of course, you'll have San Francisco and Green Bay, a game that has not been um, postponed as of yet um, because uh, despite the fact that Green Bay had a COVID breakout with, uh, with, with the running back and San Francisco earlier today closed down their facilities with, uh, because of COVID. But as of, as of right now, I haven't heard, haven't heard anything and you know, went on the air about six, at six o'clock. As of right now, the NFL, those games, that game will be played as of right now, Green Bay and um, Green Bay and uh, San Francisco tomorrow on Thursday night football. So there you go with week eight in the NFL. Um, as far as, as far as Super Bowl contenders, to me, there are five, I have there are four teams right now that I think can win the Super Bowl. You have Seattle, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh. Those are your four teams, I think, that are legitimate Super Bowl uh, contenders. Um, now, again, Baltimore is a possibility. Um, New Orleans is a possibility. Um, anybody else in the AFC? Tennessee? Eh, eh, maybe. Maybe Tennessee could be a possibility, but right now, there to me, those these four those four teams are clearly the class of the NFL right now. Um, got a chance to watch the Dave Chappelle um, interview with uh, or uh, David Letterman interview Dave Chappelle. So of course, it's on Netflix. Uh, part of uh, David Letterman's interview series, um, interview series, which is back for season three. And, you know, a couple of things jumped out. First of all, I strongly recommend it, recommend uh, watching it. Um, Dave, Chappelle, like Dave Chappelle, and again, it took me a long time to come around to this, but I'm, I'm always there. I mean, Dave Chappelle is no question to me, the GOAT of comedians. And again, I'm a Richard Pryor fanatic. I love Richard Pryor, uh, the late Richard Pryor. Thought Richard Pryor changed comedy the way that Marlon Brando changed um, acting. He had that type of impact on, on his genre. But Dave Chappelle, to me, has even taken that to another level. Um, to see one legend, David Letterman, who's, who you know is a late night talk show legend without question, be in complete awe of that guy, of, a, of another player, of, of, of Dave Chappelle was just, was, I was taken back by that. And it almost, you know, I'm gonna say I, I, Letterman, the interview wasn't great. It wasn't a great interview because I think, you know, Letterman was cutting them off at times and he was just so awestruck that it was kind of like, it just, it was throwing him off. Now it, it did not throw Dave Chappelle off. Dave Chappelle was Dave Chappelle. And I think, where Dave Chappelle at, is at right now is he does not have to make you laugh to be effective. Dave Chappelle as a straight communicator is one of just, is, is, a, is a national treasure. Like he just as a communicator. Like I, I don't, is, is that a, he's at a level to where I don't care if he, he makes me laugh. It's almost a bonus if he makes me laugh. I just want to hear Dave Chappelle speak. I want to hear what, 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 what are his thoughts on various topics or subjects and, um, about the world or in, in life in general. That is where Dave Chappelle is at right now. And that is a level of communication that is rare air. That, you're talking, you know, Richard Pryor, um, 
George Carlin, Lenny Bruce, Dick Gregory. That is rare air for a comedian or any communicator for that matter. And like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Dave Chappelle realizes that his purpose even is bigger than comedy, but it just so happens that he just does comedy at a level, he's a comedy savant. And he's at that level right now. Like I said, the, the, the gap between Dave Chappelle and, and the second great, second best comedian is probably as big as the gap between the second best comedian and the, the, the comedian, a comedian ranked 55th, uh, 100th. Like it's that big a gap. Like they're, they're, matter of fact, it doesn't even matter who's second. It really, it doesn't. It doesn't matter who's the second best comedian. Like it, 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 it's pointless. He's on that level right now. Um, I definitely encourage to watch it. It was a, it was entertaining. It was entertaining. You know, he's back home, um, what Yellow Springs, Ohio. You know, you know a lot of lot of nuggets, a lot of jewels out of that interview. Just the interaction between Letterman and Chappelle is is worth watching. So I definitely um, recommend that. In regards to the NBA, a couple of things with the NBA. First, you're going to have the NBA. Um, voting on whether or not they're going to come back before Christmas or January 18th. Now, here, here, are, the, here are the NBA scenarios. Here are the, um, here are the restart, the restart options. So you see here, as I have it on the screen, if they start December 22nd, it would be three days, that's three days before Christmas. Training camps will be December 1st and they will be in, and more importantly, they'll be eligible to, you know, to get to for an excess of 500 million to a billion dollars worth of revenue. That is the big piece to that December 22nd start. Of course, we all know that is a much quicker turnaround as a quicker, a very quick turnaround, basically a seven to eight week turnaround from when the NBA finals ended October 11th. Um, you know, you've heard players balking at that, but more than likely they're going to sign this deal. Now that will be 72 game season. You have 70, you have a 72 game season, 14 back to backs in the playoffs, as you see, will begin on May 22nd with the finals wrapping up around July 22nd. If they start the season January 18th, which is I want to say Martin Luther King's birthday, now you're talking about training camps starting around December 28th. A that will be a 60 game season with 24 back to backs. Playoffs starting around June 28th and ending around August 21st to through the 23rd. Now, putting the money aside, which I know is impossible to do, it's impossible to put the money aside. But let's 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 wait, let's let's go to a world of of make believe for a second, and let me put the money aside. Even with even minus the money. The December 22 option is a way more feasible option to me, just from the standpoint of playing 14 back-to-backs as to as in comparison to playing 24 back-to-backs. So to me, even without the money, if I'm a player, I'd rather start earlier and have less and have more time off during the season than have than start later and have to do. 10 more back-to-backs. And of course, in, in regards to when they start, they'll have a six-day, they'll have a six-day all-star break, a play-in tournament, 
and of course a 25% reduction in travel. Now, listen, the NBA, <coughs> the players are going to sign this deal. They're going to sign this deal because there's too much money involved. And, you know, if they, they're going to lose a lot of money based on the fact that they're probably got, they're, they're not going to be any fans for the foreseeable future. Revenue in the NBA is going down at least, they're looking at 40% losses in terms of revenue, at least 40% with no fans. That's a nice chunk. That's a nice chunk of change. They're looking, the NBA right now is looking at ways to generate what revenue talking about, you know, sports gambling, talking about, you know, not having to compete against the Olympics, television ratings. So they're, they're looking to ways to scrounge up some money. here. This, uh, this tournament, this, this four, this four seed, four team tournament, um, in each conference with seedings, you know, with seed seven to, to 10, which is going to be a playing tournament. That's been looking for, you know, television ratings and money revenue through that. So, the NBA will start, and I told you this in the last podcast, and I'm going to double down on it, uh, triple down on it. You will have an agreement before the end of the week, and they will be starting ring night in Los Angeles, December 22nd. You mark by where you can book it. Players are not walking away from that amount of money, and they're not going to um, walk away from a schedule that, could, that would provide them that would provide them 10 less back-to-backs. It's just not going to happen. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. Uh, thanks to Angel Henriquez joining me uh, earlier in the podcast. I will see you this weekend with the Wire remix with Robert Sapp, episode season three, episode six, Homecoming, big episode. As always, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash C slash Real Deal Podcast. Have a great evening. Hey, turn off the election, put on a movie. You know, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I'm out. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.